Welcome to Sunday School. We're going to continue our series through the book of Micah. If you will turn to chapter 4 this morning. I'm excited about starting Sunday School at 10. I've always hated 945. So the good news is it's already, what, five after, so you don't have to sit there forever listening to me drone on. That's what I like. All right, chapter 4, as we closed out chapter 3 last week, we saw how Micah proclaimed himself as the true prophet of God because he had the Spirit of the Lord upon him. And he once again rebuked the leadership in the land, which included the princes, the prophets, and the priests. They had all become corrupted by money. But in the process, they had the audacity to suggest that God was still among them. And that no evil could come upon them is what the false prophets were preaching. Micah then goes on to prophesy that for their sakes, we're still talking about the end of chapter 3, that for their sakes, Zion would be plowed as a field and Jerusalem shall become heaps and the mountain of the house of the Lord as the high places of the forest. This was definitely fulfilled by the Babylonians in 70 AD as they conquered the Assyrians. They made their way into Judea and took Judah captive for 70 years. Some see also a fulfillment in the days of the Romans in 70 AD when they destroyed Jerusalem. The challenge for us last week was to stand as true prophets of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. We are the prophets of God in the sense that we proclaim the word of God his children, and so we all need to stand as true prophets. What other hope does the lost have? Somebody told us about the Lord. We need to have uh, the courage to tell others. And do you think they're going to turn to their Bibles naturally? They're not just going to get the itch to come to church. And so we have to be out there doing our part. If Christ is the answer, which He is, and if we have the answer, which we do, then how are the lost going to hear if we don't warn them as God's prophets? How shall they hear without a preacher? And so we have to be willing to go out and tell the lost. What's interesting is chapter 4 now, the message turns from destruction to restoration. Look at verses 1 through 7. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. The mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. That's as far as we're going to get, actually, so let's just stop reading there. You may recall when this study was being introduced that Micah is considered a compact version of the book of Isaiah. Verses 1 through 3 here of chapter 4 are a quote of Isaiah 2. Two through four. I don't. I shouldn't say a quote, but it's the same thing being said. Critics of Scripture will try to say that Micah just bummed off of Isaiah's message. <laughs> they refuse to see that they both had the same God. When you have the same God, the same message, 
You have the same message, amen? It's the same. This is why you can travel across the world and you can find God-fearing Christians everywhere doing the same thing that we're doing. It always stirs my heart to see the video footage from the missionaries when somebody comes in and we get to see them baptized in a foreign country. And it's just amazing because we hear them singing the same songs, preaching the same message. They're being baptized by immersion after salvation. They are assembling together just as we do. And just a reminder this morning, God is not an American. (laughs) Why is this so? Why is it that everywhere on the planet... You can go, you can find us doing the same thing for those who are true believers. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says, There is one body, one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And so just because Micah and Isaiah share the same message, it doesn't mean one of them cheated off of the other. (laughs) It just means they have the same God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of Christendom was in one accord, in one voice? Wouldn't that be something? Instead, we have all these different groups in the name of Christianity, and it causes all kinds of confusion for the lost and immature believers. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Imagine if there was a collective voice on the Bible way of salvation. Wouldn't that be something? Imagine if there was a collective voice on the penalty for rejecting God's Christ. I think we would be much more effective. But Satan knows this and he understands that a house divided against itself cannot stand. So the best thing to do is to weaken a movement. Uh, To weaken a movement, the best thing to do is to bring division. And that's what Satan wants to do, is he wants to divide and conquer. Understand that it has always been this way. It was no different in Micah's day. Now we see the timing of this prophecy here. Now we're going to really bore you with study. If you like study, this is a good lesson for you. We see the timing here in verse 1 is in the last days. The term last days and terms like it can cause some amount of controversy because the context can sometimes change the timing of what it means to mean last days. The most common understanding of the term last days refers to the times in which we are now living. That began all the way back when Christ was here. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Without a doubt, we can say the last days began almost 2,000 years ago now. That's a long time for last days. Amen. Last days, I mean, they've been going on for a long time. Within these last days, there are many things which the Bible says will come to pass. On the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter, in in referencing Joel's prophecy, said, And it shall come to pass in the last days. And then he goes on to mention several things that will take place in the last days. The Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh. He mentioned prophesying, dreams, and visions. There would be wonders in heaven and signs in the earth beneath. And those signs would be before the great and notable day of the Lord. And he mentioned how whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And even in what Peter said under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost concerning the last days, it has different fulfillments, even in what Peter said. For example, the Spirit has been poured out. Amen. There is prophesying. There is dreams. There are visions. Whosoever will can come to Christ right now. Hallelujah. But the sign of the sun, moon, and stars, or the sun being turned into darkness, the moon into blood, is, as he put it, I get ahead of myself. That happening before the great and notable day of the Lord has yet to come to pass. So you can see within the term last days, there's a lot of things that will come to pass during that time. Some have already come to pass. Some were still waiting to come to pass, but it all encompasses the term the last days. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days perilous times shall come. He went on to write a list of things which have come to pass, all of which we're seeing today. And because the last days have lasted this long, Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So when Micah says, in the last days it shall come to pass, when does this take place? Is it at the beginning of the last days? During the duration of the last days? Or at the end of the last days? Well, let's let the context give us the answer. Amen. That's a good place to start. In doing so, there are some things we need to identify first. What location is being discussed? Well, we know how chapter 3 ended, that the mountain is Zion and the city is Jerusalem. But we also need to know who is the he that is being referred to as well. We read that this he will teach us his ways. We will walk in his paths. We see in verse 3 that he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. I think we would have to agree that the he spoken of must refer to Christ. We'll consider this more closely as we go, so hang hang in there. But I don't think there's much disagreement here in identifying the he, because most people would say it's the Messiah. Um, Then once we understand where the location is and who is being referred to, then in order to ascertain the timing of this passage, we need to examine what is said that will come to pass. And then ask ourselves, have any of these things come to pass? Has the mountain of the house of the Lord been established? Are people flowing unto it? Are many nations saying, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord? Are nations beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks? Have nations stopped lifting up sword against nation? Are nations no longer learning war? So as we look at what is supposed to come to pass according to this prophecy, I think we all would agree this has not yet happened. We're still fighting. There's still wars. Um, There's all kinds of things here. Like I said, we'll get a little bit deeper as we go. There are some out there who see this as a spiritual fulfillment and not a literal one. Some see it as a blend of a spiritual and a literal fulfillment. I rather think it's going to be a literal fulfillment as other passages surrounding this event are examined as as I take you through some passages this morning. Seeing how these things have yet to come to pass, I think we're safe to say that while this prophecy is said to take place in the last days, this will have its fulfillment in the end of the last days. 
Are we there yet? I don't know. If we're not in the end of the last days, we got to be what? End of end of the last? We're close. We're close. What helps in making this conclusion? Well, the Bible mentions a period when Christ will rule and reign for 1,000 years with a rod of iron over all nations. Let's take a short trip to the Revelation. Amen. In Micah, we read that he shall judge among many people, rebuke strong nations afar off. But in order for this to happen, Christ must rule over all nations. Would you look at Revelation 11, verses 15 through 19? And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. So we see here, when the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, the kingdoms of this world will become Christ. He will, at that point, reign over all nations, which is what Micah said would have to happen. We also see at this time that the nations will be angry because the wrath and judgment of God has come upon them before we enter the millennial reign. Go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. Verses 11 through 16. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, White and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress and fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus returns, those who have rejected Christ will experience the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. We see in verse 15 that Jesus will then rule the nations with a rod of iron, because he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Now go to the next chapter, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that... He should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they, uh, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. 
Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven, and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hallelujah. Jesus gets the victory. Amen. There are some who will view the millennial reign of Christ as a spiritual reign. I believe the problem with this line of thinking is that we read here that Satan will be bound for 1,000 years. And that during that time, he will not be able to deceive the nations. I don't think we can conclude that that has ever happened in our history, especially over the last 2,000 years since Christ came. So I don't see how we can say that personally. I believe we are left to conclude that this millennial reign of Christ is still yet to come. And seeing how it is after the nations of this world have become the nations of our Christ Uh, then we would have to conclude that the millennial reign will take place after these last days in which we now lived. Have I confused anybody yet? Okay, good. Thank you for pretending. Micah, he mentions the place is Jerusalem. But do we find anywhere in the Bible where Christ will rule upon this earth from Jerusalem? Well, let's go to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. One of my favorite prophet books. In Zechariah chapter 14, let's read verses 1 through 7. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. By the way, anytime you read the day of the Lord, that speaks of God's wrath. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from this city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, uh, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known unto the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time It shall be light. This is giving us the scene when Christ returns to this earth to pour out his wrath. When his feet, when he descends and his feet stand upon the Mount of Olives, the mountain's gonna split in two. Half of it's gonna go to the north, half of it's gonna go to the south. If you can picture the skyline of Jerusalem, most of the pictures where you see the Dome of the Rock in the distance, is taken from the Mount of Olives. 
And that mountain will split in two, and there will be a clear highway up to Jerusalem. There'll be a great valley that's going to be made. And so this valley will be established, but let's keep reading verses 8 through 11. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. And the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to uh, Ramon south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate unto the corner gate. And from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's winepress. And men shall dwell in it. And there shall be no more utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Now, it's clear from these, this passage here that the Lord will be king over all the earth in verse 9. Micah's talking about there's coming a day that he'll reign. We're talking about the, or that Jerusalem will be reestablished. We've seen in, in Revelation, there's to be a thousand year reign. And we see here that it will, in fact, take place from Jerusalem. We see that living waters will go out from Jerusalem. That there'll be no more utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this, to me, is the time that the Lord will reign, begin His reign 1,000 years upon this earth. Let's keep reading verses 16 through 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of the Tabernacles. In that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And they that sacrifice shall come and take them and seed therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So there's going to come a time when every nation will go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the King, Jesus Christ, amen, the King of kings. For those who refuse, there's going to be judgment since Christ will be ruling with a rod of iron the insanity that we find in the world today will have ceased because Jesus will be ruling. Haste the day. Amen. And so the picture is clear that Jerusalem will once again be established and that the mountain of the house of the Lord will once again be exalted just as Micah has prophesied in our text. You can go back there if you'd like. That's where I'm going to be. <laughs> Now, with all that in mind, what we read in Revelation, what we read in Zechariah, let's read verses 1 through 4 again of Micah chapter 4. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. 
Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. Now, I've said all that today to say I can definitely see the prophecy here in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, being the millennial reign of Christ. That's where I'm at with this. It will be a time of peace. Thank God. Verse 3 says that the weapons will be turned into farming implements. That's how much peace there's going to be. Nation will not lift up a sword against nation. Neither are they going to learn war anymore. They're not even going to study to go to battle. And just an interesting side note, there's an occurrence in Joel chapter 3 where the opposite is said to happen, when plowshares will be turned into swords and pruning hooks into spears. And that's the time just before the Lord returns and pours out His wrath. And so you can see this unfold in your mind that there's a time that they're going to be making instruments of war to fight against God, to fight against His Christ, because they don't, they, they've rejected the Lamb. And when Jesus comes back and He squares it all out, all the weapons will then be turned into pruning hooks and to, what was the other thing? What was it? Plowshares. Thank you. Um, and so when that time comes, uh, we'll see a return back to peace. And so, well, I shouldn't say return back, but we'll see a time of peace. So when we read that these implements of war are turned into farming implements, it's after God's wrath, which fits the timing of the millennial reign perfectly when Christ will rule and Satan is bound for 1,000 years. By the way, Christ is our prophet, our priest, and our king. He came as the prophet spoken of by Moses when he came the first time. He entered into his high priest role when he ascended on high where he is functioning right now as our great high priest at the throne of God. When he comes to pour out his wrath and establish his reign upon this earth, he will then function as our king. Now, Christ has always been all of those things. I understand that. But we can certainly uh, see where each role is magnified more than others. We can see where Christ came as a prophet the first time. We can see how he's functioning as our high priest. And we can see that he will reign as king. He's our prophet, priest, and king. Amen. We can see different times, different seasons of his role. Now look at verse 4 as we close. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. This is a picture of peace. This is a picture of tranquility. It's a picture of security, which will be a result of the Lord ruling and reigning upon this earth. And it's a proverbial expression of safety. In 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 25, it says, And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. So there was a time of peace under Solomon, which by the way, his name means peace. And, and during that time, the Bible says that they dwelt safely under their vine and under the fig tree. So it's a picture of safety as well. This may also be an allusion to the freedom in which people will have to study and to meditate, to soak in God's Word and, and to have some time just to get away, to get alone and, and have that peace to do that. When word was spreading that the Messiah had arrived, Philip went to find Nathanael. And when uh, he finds Nathanael, he says, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Then Nathanael asked, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, Philip says, Come and see. Then we read the following exchange between Jesus and Nathanael. 
In John chapter 1, verses 47 through 48, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. It could be that Nathanael had been under the fig tree, meditating upon the things of God. That was commonplace in those days. So there could be an illusion here in Micah that this will be a great time of freedom to just think and meditate upon God's Word because there's so much peace. Um, what a blessing that'll be. For certain, it'll be a time of no fear. The middle of verse 4 reads, And none shall make them afraid. Where the presence of the Lord is, there's an absence of fear. Boy, do we need to hear that today. There's an absence of fear. What a blessed time this millennial reign will be. Isaiah 11, 6-9 says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a time we have to look forward as uh, believers in Christ. If you don't know the Lord, you can get that settled today. Amen. We have a time to look forward to. And what a timely lesson we have here as we watch the world go crazy. To know that there's coming a day when the Lord will rule and reign upon this earth. And that's before the glories of eternity start when there's a new heaven, uh, a new earth, a new Jerusalem comes down. So that's my current position on Micah chapter 4. Let's pray.